Hey, well, grab your Bibles, get to Proverbs chapter 24 with me this morning. Proverbs 24, this is our last Sunday, kind of in our summer series, Wisdom, because there's just some things you can't Google. And uh, you know, as we've studied in the book of Proverbs, that if you're new with us at Harvest this summer, these messages take on a bit of a different structure than's typical. Uh, what we typically do is we find a passage in God's Word, and we systematically kind of walk through it. If it's a book of the Bible, we're just walking through kind of paragraph by paragraph. And yet, uh, the way a book is structured has to drive not only the, the, what we say, but how we preach it. And if we systematically work through the book of Proverbs from beginning to end, um, every Sunday would have us an uh, umpteen different topics because Proverbs are kind of short statements of wisdom for the Lord, um, that, that from the Lord that can go in all different directions as we just walk through one chapter. And so what we've done this summer is we've said, what seems to be really prevalent on God's heart in his wisdom literature? What are some recurring themes that we see in the book of Proverbs over and over and over again? And, and we've studied those and we've kind of gone through and we've organized those into themes. And so last Sunday in this series here today, um, how in the world do we honor God with our money? That's what we're talking about today. Lord, we need your wisdom for the stuff that sits in our wallet, for the stuff that sits in our bank accounts. How do we honor you with this stuff called money? And now I recognize just right from the beginning that a sermon on money, um, all of us walk in here in radically different places with radically different mindsets when it comes to this thing called money. Uh, for some of us in this room, the sermon teaser went out this week and you said, yes, a message on money. Because for you, you're just in a season maybe where it's like paycheck to paycheck and there's not a whole lot of margin. And every time the mortgage comes up to be paid, you're like, how are we going to scrape our pennies together this month to get this paid? And I just recognize some of us in here, um, we're excited and yet maybe a little anxious of like, what's going to be said today? Because I just feel like we have no margin in our life. Others of us walk in here, and maybe we're in a season of life where that's not the case. And we walk in with a cushion, with margin, with some extra going on, and we don't feel that maybe we did when we were just married, but we don't feel the tension of kind of living paycheck to paycheck, month to month right now. Um, some of us walk in here uh, today, and we're like, you know, if I'm honest, I, I don't think I have like an unhealthy love of money. I don't think I look, I don't think I'm codependent on it. I don't think I look to it to, um, for my trust and my hope in my life. Some of you are like, I don't love money because I don't have any. Amen? They're nothing to love. <clears throat> but other of us, others of us in here, and maybe we don't even recognize it as this message starts, but by the end of the day, some of us in here, maybe God's going to just gently and lovingly put his finger on just a little area of our heart and just go, hey, I think there just might be too, your heart might be too tied to this thing called money. You might be having a love affair with this idol called money. And I recognize just, let's, let's all get on the same page here to start. Um, today's message goes after one of the greatest heart idols of our culture. And so let's not be surprised today as we look at what God has to say about this, that if we're distracted and we just want to look around and we don't want to be attentive because we're going after one of our greatest, our culture's greatest heart idols. And, and, and the enemy is not going to want us to 
uh, understand what God has to say about this area of our life. He's going to want to. He's going to want us to keep living in the dysfunction that maybe we're living in. He's going to want us to keep living like tied to it and in love with it and living as if it's a God. Um, but today, because I recognize all of us come in with kind of all over the board, we need a common starting point for our discussion on God's wisdom for this stuff called money. And here's our common starting point: our money is not ultimately our money. Let me read that again and get a couple amens up in this place. Our money is not ultimately our money. That changes everything. <clears throat> Some <clears throat> super rich guy walks up to me and says, uh, this didn't really happen, but if it did, hey, I'm so rich, I just don't even want to manage my own money. Like, can you just manage my money for me? I don't even want to think about it. Give Give to what I, you think I should be giving to. Save how you think I should be saving. Spend how you think I should be spending. This is more along the lines of God's understanding. We are not owners. We, folks, are this word the Bible calls stewards. We are stewards of God's money. Every cent in our bank account is not ultimately ours, even though our name might sit at the top of the thing we get from Chase Bank. Um, the car that sits in our garage is not ultimately ours. The garage attached to our house is not ultimately our house. When we come from the starting line of all understanding together that this is all the Lord's, we are not owners of one cent. Instead, we are stewards. So what's a steward supposed to do? A steward is supposed to do this. A good steward manages things for an owner in a way that honors the owner. So if this is all the Lord's, and that's the starting point, my job is to manage what God steers in this area of money into my account in a way that honors the owner. So think about this. The primary purpose of money isn't to buy things. We use money to buy things, and God provides us some money so we can buy things, but the primary purpose is not that. The primary purpose of money is not so we can have financial security. Money can provide financial security, but the primary purpose of the money, that's all the Lord's, is that we use it in a way that honors him. So, so fortunate for us. Um, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about this topic. I just started at the beginning of Proverbs and I read to the end of Proverbs and by my count, and this for sure is not infallible and you could do it and come up with a different number, but by my count, the book of Proverbs touches on the topic of money 46 times. 46 times in God's wisdom literature, he's like, let me say something to you about money. More than that, from cover to cover of this book, God says a lot about money. Jesus talked a lot about money because he knew that there would come this war in our heart to try to put this God thing on this thing that can never have a God title to it, money, instead of relying on him. And so today we're going after how do we collectively as God's people seek to live in a way that we honor God with our money. Anyone else need this message this morning? Let's hear what God's word has to say about it. Pray with me first. Father, I recognize right now the spiritual battle going on in the hearts of this room. I recognize the spiritual battle going on in the heart of the preacher. I recognize the spiritual battle going on in the heart of those who are going to be preached to. This, Lord, you told us could potentially be one of the greatest warriors for the throne of our heart. 
Lord, the enemy loves to deceive us on this topic. He loves to get us so worried and anxious over it if we don't have enough of it. And he loves for us to depend on it if we do. God, we cast this at your feet. We want to start from the position that we're not owners of any of this anyway. And we just want to do with it what your word instructs us to do with it. We want to honor you, the owner of it. And so God, I beg right now for your spirit to come and do in our hearts what only your spirit can do. We desperately need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's kind of the headline verse of everything we talk about today, and it'll be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And you're like, ah, good. That's not talking to me because I certainly don't have wealth. Um, Go home, do a little exercise. I I think it's called like globalrichlist.com, globalrichlist.com. Go to globalrichlist.com and put, your, put your, uh, your household's annual income in there. It'll show you where you fall in the richest people of the world. Um, most of us sitting in this room are, will be in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. Some of us will be within the top 1% of 1% of the richest people in the world. This is talking to us. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce. How do we do that? Proverbs is going to walk us through it. First point is this God is honored when I do honest work for honest money. God is honored when I do honest work for honest money. Look at what Proverbs 24 should be right in front of you, verse 30. Look what it says I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns and the ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered. So just get there. Uh, Wise man walking along the road and he looks over and he sees this vineyard. And as he looks at this vineyard, uh, he can tell, man, this thing hasn't been worked for years. Look at the thorns, look at the nettles, look at, look at the wall that's supposed to protect, protect the crop. I mean, this thing hasn't been worked for years. And he just, he's looking at this picture and, and he's just using it as a way to instruct his own heart. Uh, verse 32, then I saw and considered it. I, I, I looked and received instruction, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What's the point we're pulling from this right here? Um, work is the way that God entrusts money to us. Little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Don't work, poverty will come upon you. Like all through this book, God has instructed to us that um, the money he channels in our direction to be stewarded comes through a very, very good thing called work. Work was there before the fall. We get that, right? He put Adam in the garden. He said, work it. The curse of how the work would come with toil, the ground would produce toil in the work. That came after the fall, but work was there pre-fall. Work, folks, is a great gift from the Lord. And he tells us that work's the way that he channels money in our direction. So accountants sitting in this room today, you can go to work tomorrow and sit in the office and do what you do with detailed excellence, and it's all to the glory of God. 
The custodian sitting here is going to walk into a building tonight and he's going to clean it to the glory of God and God is honored by that and God uses that to entrust a paycheck to that person that God then wants that money to be stewarded in a way that honors him. But I want you to see something. um, That that point, we qualify. We qualify what type of work we're talking about. God is honored when I do, what's it say? When I do honest work, when I do honest work for honest money, um, a fairly well-known pastor came to know the Lord just out of an extremely rough lifestyle, was, um, was just pushing drugs, made most of his living off of uh, pushing drugs, and uh, came to know the Lord, accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior, um, but no one had discipled him. So he keeps pushing drugs, and he's tithing off of the drugs that he's pushing, there's no one to disciple him. The, the Lord is honored when we do honest work for honest money. Don't turn there, but look at, on the screen what Proverbs 10.2 says. Treasures gained by, what's the word? Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. God is telling us there that there are some ways that we can put money in our account that God says that's not profit at all. Your account might be larger, but I don't look on that as anything. That's nothing. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. God is after his people doing honest work for honest money. And I just, I I stop here and I I make this point for us. And I just ask a question. As we look at kind of our financial picture, as we look at the work we do, as we look at how we go about the work we do, can we say with 100% integrity that we are doing absolutely honest work for absolutely honest money? business owners, is, is there no writing off of expenses that aren't really business expenses? Come tax time, is there no uh, unethical hiding of income uh, that really should be out in the open? Are we doing 100% honest work for 100% honest money? Because remember, the goal of money isn't just for us to think through creative, unethical ways to get more of it. The goal of our money is to honor its owner, and its owner is the Lord. And now, I want you to go on this journey with me through Proverbs here. I want you to flip back a page or two to Proverbs 22, verse 1. Proverbs 22, verse 1. And, and, and points 1 and 2 on our outline here are really closely tied together. Um, God is honored when, yes, I do honest work for honest money, but now just kind of in a grand umbrella scheme of things, God is honored when I never trade following God for financial gain. There will come times in our life where we will hit a crossroads between having to choose between a moment of financial gain and following the Lord. And there will come some times where those are divergent paths. We're going to have to make a choice. Look at what Proverbs 22 verse 1 says. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Think about this verse. A good name a reputation that represents the Savior that we're following is of more value than any dollar amount that we could assign to it and sell it out for. Are we there? 
Are we on that? Do we believe that? We're nodding our heads at church on Sunday, but do we believe that in our heart? A name that brings Jesus glory is worth far more than any dollar amount we can put on it and then sell it for. Would we sell out a reputation of following Jesus for $100? We're like, no way. $1,000? No. Some of us live within business rounds where we're moving around millions of dollars. Would we sell out the good name for any dollar amount? And you're like, what happens though, when I come to one of these crossroads where following God and financial gains seem to be at odds and I choose to follow God, what if I pay for that? Uh, Look at what Proverbs 28 on the screen says. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. God, help me really believe that. That it is better for me to be poor with my integrity intact than rich and crooked in how I'm going about living. I remember the lesson as a fourth grader that I was learning in the back seat um, that I didn't know I was learning at the time. My parents were having a discussion in the front seat. It was the the time in our life where my dad had just left the security of driving a semi-truck down the road with steel on the back for another company and bought a truck on his own and was trying to find um, anything he could put on his trailer to drive down the road. And uh, he had never led a company before, and he was doing what, uh, what a wise person should do and kind of talking to other business owners and, hey, how's this work and what's this look like? And, and um, I just remember in the backseat listening to this conversation. I had no idea what I was even listening to. Um, but he was talking about how a lot of the counsel he was receiving was uh, how to shade the truth, how to hide income, how to write off things that aren't... And, uh, in, I'm not talking about good, frugal, wise business. I'm talking about like, how do you cheat the system? And I just remember sitting there in the backseat as my dad turned to my mom and just said something very, very simple, very direct, yet very profound. Um, Hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this the right way. Parents understand the conversations in the front seat are instructing the minds in the backseat. But I just remember that. A decision was made right there. If following God and how we go about the business of this company and how we go about the finances, if one day it takes us down, we've already made the decision. We're following the Lord. Do we believe it is better to be poor with our integrity intact than rich and crooked? Now, keep going on this journey here and we get to some of the very core hard issues of things. Flip back with me, go to Proverbs 11, just keep flipping back. I know this is not typical that we just keep going all over a book, but we have to with how Proverbs is structured. Proverbs chapter 11, verse seven, God is honored when, third point is this, I do not trust, I do not trust or hope in money. I do not trust or hope and my money. Look at what Proverbs 11 verse 7 says. When the wicked dies, you finish that line. 
When the wicked dies, his hope will perish. Imagine that. Think about that. The guy, the lady who has spent all of their life with the sole goal of building wealth, building wealth, building wealth. It's everything to them. It's, in, it's absorbed their heart. It's what they're all about. More money, more money, more money, more money. The day you die, gone, boom, done. It, it's all, that, that pursuit of that's over. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Now jump over, same chapter, verse 28, 11, 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever trusts in, the, in his riches will fall. Money, is in a, money cannot hold up the weight of our hope or trust. It just can't. It was never intended to. It was never meant to sit as the ultimate thing on the throne of our heart. It was always meant by God to be a tool that brings him glory with our hope and our trust completely in him. Now, here's what I recognize. If we're here this morning and we've put an unhealthy amount of hope or trust in this thing called money, we probably don't even know it. We're probably blind to it. Most of us are probably sitting here like, I don't trust in money. I don't hope in that. Um, Let me crush this for some of us. Uh, Four signs my trust is tied to money. This isn't going to be fun for us, okay? Number one is this. I rarely thank God and acknowledge him as the source of my provision. I just rarely stop and say, thank you, Lord. As I watch a paycheck directly deposited in my, thank you, Lord. As I sit at at a table provided by God with food on it, with a chair that I'm sitting on for us to finish it, then sit on a couch and then walk upstairs and crawl in a nice warm bed. Do I ever just say, thank you, God? I um, bought my first house at 21 in Crawfordsville, Indiana. And um, this tells you the uh, level of house I purchased. But what do you think my house payment was a month? $275 a month. And I remember just sitting in this piece of junk house that really became just dear to Erica and I. But I was 21 years old. It was the, it was the first spring I was in the house. And this just massive thunderstorm rolled through. Rolled through. And I'm sitting in the, the house was completely dark. I'm sitting on the couch and I'm looking out the front window and I'm watching the lightning that's just pouring and the rain's running down the window. And it was the first time ever in my life I went, thank you, Lord, for a roof over my head. First time ever in my life. When you grow up in a home with parents, like you're like, you just take it for granted. When you spent some money and bought the thing, you went, thank you, Lord, for a roof. Now here's the deal. I don't know if I've ever said that in the midst of a storm since that day. I just, come fami- I just become familiar with it. Another storm rolls in. Yep, still got a roof over my head. Will we stop and just recognize the Lord as the provision of everything? And now some of us are going, hey, hold, hold on. I work hard. I work hard to provide a paycheck for my family. I work hard for that. I work hard to provide for my family. Yes, you do. Um, you work hard to provide a paycheck for your family, but the Lord himself is the provider of that paycheck to you. Number two is this, um, 
Four signs my trust is tied to money. There's a downward shift in my mood when there's a downward shift in the market. <laughs> Do I become hard to be around um, when I take a financial hit? Does, does my stress and anxiety level skyrocket as, as, the, as the market is tanking? Am I immediately on the phone with my financial advisor saying, what, what's going on? What are we going to do here? Well, my, what, what a... There's a downward shift in my mood when there's a downward shift in the market. Number three is this. Giving money away brings anxiety, not joy. Like, I know I should, and yes, like, and I'm giving out of guilt, and oh my goodness, now that we just gave that away, though, what is this, how does this affect next week? And it just brings anxiety and not joy. And then uh, last point, convicting. I check my accounts an obnoxious amount of times every week. I'll get home some days and Eric will be like, hey, I swung by TJ Maxx today. I'm like, yeah, I know, 3450. <laughs> Better have been good. I could just so convicted, like, she just knows, she's surprised now when she like goes to the store and I don't know what it was. There's just a check, you check your accounts an obnoxious amount of times. And maybe that's, maybe there's nothing to it. Maybe there's nothing in your heart tied to that, but maybe there is. But just for signs, my, my trust is tied to money. Money was never meant for us to be something that held up our trust or hope. Now, uh, keep going on the journey here. Flip over Proverbs 13, Proverbs 13, verse 11. And as you get there, let me give you point number four. Um, point number four, God is on it. Well, before you look at this, let me say this. Um, most of the time when we're like, oh, a message on money, um, I'm going to walk out feeling really guilty. And I'm going to walk out feeling like if I have it, then I should feel guilty about it. And, and, and uh, like, I'm going to walk out feeling I, I just need to give more and all this. Listen, um, a well-balanced message on money will always highlight this. God actually tells us how we're to save it. Like God actually tells us, like he entrusts us some things and there's some wisdom and he's honored and how we go about stewarding in such a way that we hold on to some of it. Look at what it says here, Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will what? Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Uh, who, confession time, who stayed up for the Mayweather-McGregor fight last night? Stayed up for the May. I did too. One of the most foolish decisions of your pastor on a Saturday night ever. Crawled into bed about 1.30. Floyd Mayweather is um, predicted to bring in about somewhere just north of $300 million for the 27 minutes he was in the ring. $300 million. I watched it with some of our small group guys and I was driving home with a buddy and we both said the same thing. You know how fast that's going to be gone? He owes 40 to the IRS already for some back stuff. All the taxes that go along with this, the lifestyle that he lives, the entourage that he lives, that's gone. That's gone. Like as soon as the paycheck comes, it's just out the door. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. All we have to do is look at the lottery system to get that. But God says some things, but he... Who, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. 
God's like, I'm honored in this. Uh, the, the Proverbs celebrate this tiny little insect called an ant multiple times. And one of the things Proverbs says about an ant, it says that it works all the time and it stores up and it stores up and it stores up and then uh, it keeps some of what it stores for later on in the year so it can keep eating. What if this, what if some of what God provides me today is to be set aside for the needs of tomorrow? What if some of what God is providing me today is to be set aside for the needs of tomorrow? And some of you are like, hold on, time out. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. You're right. He did. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on Do not hoard it. Do not, do not put your heart into that account. But the principle that Proverbs talks of, of gathering little by little and keeping it is to prevent us from another thing Proverbs talks about of avoiding enslaving debt. I'm driving a 2006 Ford 500. I got maybe, if God's good to me, like four years left with that car. What does it look like to set aside $50 a month over the course of years so that when my Ford 500 dies, I bless it, pray for it, bring it to the scrapyard, walk onto a used car lot and pay cash for a next car and don't have a car payment. Not down on car payments, by the way. It's not the point. The point is setting aside little by little today allows us to provide for the needs of tomorrow. Um, um, maybe this will be a newsflash. Do you guys know college is expensive? Like parents or college students, like, did you, was that a shocker to you? What does it look like to teach our kids how to save over the course of 18 years so we don't have this mad freak out scramble 18 months before college? Uh, when Kason was born, we started a college savings plan for him. I was meeting my, my financial advisor. She said, I went to Wabash College. She said, hey, do you want to know what Wabash College is estimated to be for the years your kids would go there? I said, No. <laughs> It was like just shy of $500,000 estimate, four-year four year total. Then I made the decision right then and there. Sorry, bro, no college for you. <laughs> Better learn a trade. Uh, Erica laughs at me. A couple of years ago, I started a, um, uh, a daughter wedding fund. You're like, I didn't know they had a daughter. We don't. I started, doing I started doing all these weddings in ministry and I started looking around the room and I'm like, this is expensive. And every previous father of a bride said, amen. No, you said cha-ching, right? Just, just here. And I was just like, what does it look like to put $20 aside every month for 25 years versus like trying to scramble and get that eight and eight months? He who gathers little by little, will it, will increase it. I would just encourage some of us go home today, this week, and just say, where do we need to start applying this principle? Where, where can we set ourselves up? Where can we acknowledge that maybe God is entrusting to us today some things that he wants us to set aside with forethought and wisdom to provide for the things of tomorrow? Where do we need to start applying that? And um, I regularly save a little over a long time. And now fifth point is this. God is honored when I give his money away generously. He's honored when we give his money away generously. Back to Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25. Proverbs 11, verse 24. Look at what God says about the joy of this. 
One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. (laughs) Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings a blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Think about what God has just said there. Holding on to money is like trying to grab onto water. The harder we try to squeeze onto it, the more we can't hold it. Be a conduit that gives it away freely, and God says, I'll take care of you. I got you. Just be a conduit that open-handed, give it away freely. The Lord, the Lord taps you on the shoulder. The Lord turns your head to a need and says, yeah, um, give some of my money to that. Remember, we're not owners of it anyway. When the steward says, give it, we give it. When the owner says, give it, we give it. We're just stewards of him in this. God is honored when I give his money away generously. And now God says some things about who he is honored. He, he's honored when we give it back to him. And then Proverbs highlights one area, one group, people group in particular, he's really honored by. It's, it talks about giving to the poor in Proverbs over and over and over and over again. Like the wise man will give to the poor. It's a theme in Proverbs. Don't believe me, just start from the beginning of the book to the end and look at how many times it talks about the wise giving to the poor. Proverbs 19, 17, one of these verses says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Now, I can't go in, I don't have time to go into a a deep theology of how we should go about giving to the poor. Let me give you a resource, a book called When Helping Hurts. Let this guide how you go about giving to the poor in a way that actually helps and doesn't hinder. But the Lord is passionate about his people, open-handed generosity, give it away. What if God's blessed us to be a blessing? What if God's given to us so he can give through us? And why is God so passionate about this? You know why I think it is? Um, because he knows how easily we can fall in love with this stuff. And he knows when we won't put our hands around it and we'll open them up and we'll give it away. It's a direct weapon against falling in love with it. Now, let me say this on the last two points. Last two points, regularly save a little over a long time. Last two points, give his money away generously. Um, Some of you are sitting here going, would love to. That sounds great. That would be ideal. We have no margin in our life to do either of those things. You don't understand. We are live, literally, as soon as the paycheck goes in, every dollar is assigned to the needs in our life right now. Uh, a couple points on that. Uh, number one is this. Start giving before you even see how you can. And trust me, I wrestled with whether I say that from the pulpit on Sunday. It doesn't seem like it would make sense. And yet, like when I look at what scripture says, when the Lord says, test me in this, the only area in the scripture is like, test me in this, try me. Be faithful to give to me before you even see how mathematically it makes sense. You're like, bro, that sounds crazy. It is. And watch our crazy faithful God be faithful back to you in the midst of it. Number two, May, may the Spirit of God apply this to your heart in whatever way he wants. But number two, if you're like living right up, there's no margin, you may need to go home and rethink the standard of living in which you're living at. 
to be able to increase your standard of giving, which you can give at, and your standard of saving little bit for a long period of time. Some of us are going to go home this week and we need to put a for sale sign in the car we're driving. Some of us need to go stick a for sale sign in the dream home that we just strapped ourselves financially to try to get. You're like, I don't like what you're saying. I know. I haven't liked the wrestle that I've had to go through over this this week too. And then thirdly, some of you though are like, hold on. I feel like we're living right up to the edge. I feel like we have no margin and I feel like we've done these things. I feel like we found like the cheapest apartment that we possibly could. We're driving like a 1976 Ford Fiat. Like we, we are trying and we're trying to be faithful to give back to the Lord. And still like, we just don't have all this like set aside little by little over long periods. So we're just not in that season. Uh, don't beat yourself up over that. God just brings us into seasons where it's like, yeah, uh, unexpected medical bills. Um, sorry, future daughter wedding fund, you lose. And don't beat yourself up over that. Guys, this is just a topic that can just bring so much guilt over us. Live in the freedom of the principles that God has put in his word. And when God brings you into a season of blessing where you can set aside little by little for long periods of time, do what his word says. And when God brings you into a season of shortage where he just wants to do some work on your heart and just say, hey, just don't fall in love with this stuff. I got you. Don't beat yourself up over it. But guys, my money is God's money, and its purpose is to honor its owner. That's what God wants us to understand about this. It's his, and his word gives us principles for how we can honor him in the midst of it. And so here's what I want to do. Worship team's going to join me. If you're serving communion, you're going to head to the back of the room right now and get ready for that. Um, and you just heard, how in the world are we going to go from a finance sermon into communion. Uh, Think about this. When the New Testament talks about this issue of generosity, so often Jesus is brought up right at the center of that issue. How does our understanding of the gospel and how does our theology of Jesus Affect that we affect the way we live practically and going about managing our finances and being generous with it. If we understand the gospel, the gospel, the gospel of a generous savior will drive us to be a people who respond to this generous gospel generously. So who is this generous savior? This generous savior is the one who is the richest being in all of the universe. Our discussion of Jesus usually starts in a manger. Jesus existed pre-manger. The eternal one with the Father. In the splendor of the glory of glory. The richest being in all of the universe. The richest being in all of the universe took on complete poverty born 
and a place where animals laid. Laid in a place where animals eat. The greatest teacher who ever walked this planet slept in the place the homeless sleep. And he ate at the places the social outcasts ate. And then he died at the place the criminals die. This was the richest being in all of the universe. Completely, open-handedly gave it all away and took on complete poverty so that we could one day be rich. How do we understand that gospel? And then put our fists around a bank account. How do I understand that gospel and go, no, you can't stay in my house. No, you can't have my car. The gospel of a generously gracious Savior drive the gospel roots of a generously gracious people. I just want our guys and gals to come forward. We're going to go into a time of communion here, but I would just pray the scriptures tell us to search our heart in this time. And I pray in this time right now, fists are going from clenched to open. Some of us are going, Lord, you know we don't got much to give, but whatever, it's yours. It's yours. Do do what you want with it. Others of us are releasing clenched fists of going, I have loved and I have trusted and I have relied too much on this stinking stuff called money. I surrender. You can take it all overnight if you want to. Or you can bless me immensely in this area if you want to, but it doesn't matter. It's all yours anyway. Father, I pray right now, surrendered hearts. Lord Jesus, King Jesus, you talked about this area so much because you knew that you would go toe-to-toe in war for our heart with this bad God called money. Lord, money is not bad. It's a good thing you've given to us that we're supposed to use to honor you. And Lord, forgive our hearts of flesh that try to make this really good thing into a God thing. And Lord, right now, we're just searching our hearts before you. surrendering unhealthy, sinful attitudes we've had about this. We're surrendering um, faith, trust, and hope that we've put on it that are just a direct assault against your Lordship. And we say, Lord, collectively together, we are growing in our trust of you. God, come and search our hearts as we prepare to remember your sacrifice.